The cold wind bit through his tattered clothes. His old bones felt it like they didn't used to. This banishment was likely to be his last. A rocky wasteland that he shared with goats and a few other prisoners. Their lives all hung on the bravery of their friends. They needed to bring them food, blankets, everything they needed. His friends were more generous than most and it made it possible, when he shared his bounty, to tell them why these stalwart men risked discovery by the authorities. Food, clothing, these were deeply appreciated. But it was the ink, the parchment, this is where he could pour out his soul. In fact, it is, he was sure, why God placed him here. He smiled to himself, the Romans meant it for evil, but God and it forgot. Now he could finish writing the good news that he had so long spoken of. Indeed, there was nothing else to do. God, he nearly laughed out loud, did indeed have a wonderful sense of humor. What to write? As he cast his mind back, he could feel the Spirit helping him recall just how it was that they started on this journey. The eleven who were chosen by Jesus himself to be his sent ones, his apostles, what a joy to live again those first tentative steps that they took towards belief. As a writer, John had a luxury that the other gospel writers did not. His audience already knew the story. Writing decades later, he could, in a few words, bring the story to their minds. He could also complete the church's understanding by adding significant information not yet written. When we talked about hearing Jesus' voice, we started with the view that John had of Resurrection Day. But John's view was completely different than that of the other disciples. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John, you see, already believed. At the tomb, when he saw the grave clothes, he believed. None of the other disciples believed yet. <laughs> I'd like to take a look at the first steps of the other disciples took to become the church, to found the church. As John outlined them, these steps are summed up in Jesus' proclamation of peace, the evidence he gave them so that they could experience his peace, their being sent, the equipping Jesus would do for them so they could be successful as they went, and the content of the message they were to bring to the world. We want to look at John's understanding of the significance of Jesus' words and actions on that morning 
what he wrote probably on that barren island because he understood it best. But to do that, we need first to look at part of Luke's record as it gives us a better feel for the experience as the other disciples perceived it. So here's the setting. The disciples hide behind locked doors in fear. They have heard Mary Magdalene and the other women say that Jesus' grave is empty. It appears this was before Mary went back and saw Jesus, but for sure they have by this time seen the angels who told them Jesus was risen from the dead. Also, the disciples who had gone to Emmaus have returned with news that they saw and spoke to him. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. <laughs> Eating food tips them over the edge. I mean, you got to love Jewish custom. But first, we know that both John and Luke record the first thing Jesus does after miraculously appearing is to give them a very Jewish greeting. Shalom. Peace. In case you don't know, we should point out that shalom is so much more than just the absence of conflict. It is a state of being. In fact, a state of being in spite of any conflict that might rage around you. Peace. A deeply held confidence in God that he will make all things right. John was able to accept this peace the instant he saw Jesus. Because he already believed. The other disciples, eh, their reaction was completely different. John's face probably beamed with joy when he saw Jesus. They couldn't hear Jesus' words over the raging noise of their fears. Most of the disciples couldn't hear Jesus' offer of peace until he showed them his hands and his feet. In fact... He gave them multiple evidences to show that he was physically risen from the grave. They saw him, they heard him, they touched him. They were even able to share a meal with him. The point is that some, like John, come to belief easily. Others need to hear the evidence before they can believe. In fact, even as they believe and marvel at the evidence, they still need more. (laughs) Uh, But what great gain was theirs? when they finally knew the truth? Joy. It is a great truth that the the more you study the truth, Jesus, which we do through the Word, the more joy you experience. And this is simply a matter of who we are. We are creatures. He is our creator. We were made to feel greater joy the nearer we come to our creator. It was the same back then. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They had been sad for three days. Now they can finally be glad. And now they are ready to listen. Jesus said to them again, 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Once they had seen, they could believe and experience joy. And you did note Jesus repeated the offer of peace. They could actually receive his peace now that they believed. And, and now that they have his peace, Jesus could talk to them about their mission. And note, to be an apostle is to be a sent one. Uh, they're ready to go. They learned of him, so they had joy. They believed, so they had peace. But what did they believe? Luke had recorded it earlier. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and of the prophets and of the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now Luke's comment that he opened their minds means Jesus taught them. And I don't think this was done in just a few minutes. <laughs> he probably spent hours helping them to understand the truth he had been telling them for three years. And we should understand it takes a lot of study before we can answer all the questions we have, all the questions we'll get from others. And it's okay if we don't have the, all the answers yet, you know. Answer what you know. And so it's probably more than you realize. And then keep learning. Luke did sum up the message pretty clearly. Jesus needed to die and rise again so that we could turn from and be forgiven for our sins. And this message needs to be spread throughout the world by those who believe, beginning where they are. The disciples were in Jerusalem. John reminded us that Jesus was sent and now we are the sent ones. And okay, in this portion of the scripture, the disciples are the ones who are sent and in a very special one-time only way. That's true. But we later learn that all Christians are to be involved in spreading the good news. But can we actually do this? Well, no. <laughs> but yes, Listen to what happened immediately after Jesus told them they would be sent. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Prophets throughout the ages did physical actions to illustrate spiritual truths. And Jesus does this here. He breathed life into man at creation. Now he breathes on them to show that he will give them a new life, a spirit-filled life at the creation of the church. Even after hearing all the evidence, even with the joy that comes from learning of him, even after actually receiving his peace, we will not be ready. Even after we know the message, we will not be ready to go. We need to be equipped in more than our minds and our emotions. We need to be equipped in our spirits. And only the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is sufficient to equip us spiritually. You cannot know the mind of God without the Holy Spirit. By the way, this statement of Jesus does not mean that they received the promised Holy Spirit at that time. Uh, just that they would. It was not yet time for the church to be born. But we know what his basic message would be once it was born. 
And that thought should lead us to a question. How important is the church to this world? In this world? John recorded the strangest statement of Jesus, which may give us some insight. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. When we first hear this, it sounds for all the world like Jesus is saying they get to decide who is forgiven and who is not. But the disciples would never have thought that. They knew themselves all too well. <laughs> More importantly, they knew Jesus. They know he is the only way to the Father. They also knew the scriptures that clearly state that only God can forgive sins. Because all sins are ultimately against God. So what is he saying? In this statement, Jesus is bringing two thoughts forward. Remember the context of the message, repentance from and forgiveness of sins. Jesus is saying that there is only one way people are going to hear the message through the disciples' work. Their work as the first generation of the church and ultimately the work of every member of the church. If the church does not bring this message of hope, no one will find forgiveness. I think the father had one son to send. The son has one church to send. The Father has no plan B. The Son has no plan B. If people are going to hear the message of forgiveness, they are going to hear it by means of the church. And for some, that means they are going to hear it through us. Or they aren't going to hear it at all. The second point is about the working of the Spirit in our lives. As we fill ourselves more and more with the Holy Spirit live more and more like he wants us to, we begin to think more like him. And eventually, on that day when we are perfected, we will think just as God does when it comes to forgiveness. Those that we forgive will be the ones that God has forgiven. Those we do not forgive are those who have rejected God's grace and thus are not forgiven by God. And that's almost enough all by itself, isn't it? <laughs> but then, this story of John's with the disciples coming to faith, takes a really unexpected turn. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands in, the mark of, uh, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What's happening here? <laughs> well, John is relating Thomas' steps to faith. Remember how he said... Some come to faith easily. Yeah, Thomas is the forerunner of those who take the hard road to faith. <laughs> it starts with withdrawal. Thomas chose not to be with the other disciples. And you're saying, how do you know that? He had nowhere else to be. Remember, all these guys have given up their jobs to follow Jesus. The Passover celebration is still going on. All ten of the others are there. Why wasn't he? Many people make it very hard on themselves by avoiding fellowship with the ones who know the answer. And, of course, Thomas wasn't there to encourage the other guys either. But the other disciples brought the message to Thomas. Sometimes we need to bring the message to those who don't want to hear it. And what will their response be? <laughs> Well, Thomas, like many who take the hard road, became belligerent when they told him the good news. Kind of rude. He rejected his friend's testimony. You guys are all liars. You're all fools. <laughs> Why? 
I mean, he has to take one of those two positions. For him not to believe in the face of their belief really leaves no other possibility. You ever had anyone label you a fool because you believe Jesus is alive? Have you been called a liar? Well, eventually, unless God takes you home pretty quick, you'll get both. <laughs> That's going to happen, yeah. And then Thomas also makes demands that Jesus earn his belief. When he shows me his hands, when he shows me his side, yeah. No. But I bet you run into that too. <laughs> well, if God wants me to believe in him, then he'll have to fix my relationship. He'll have to give me a job. One of my favorites. I actually had somebody tell me this. God really exists. He'd let me win the lottery. <laughs> yeah. What's amazing is that sometimes God really does give them a sign. Oh, probably not that last one. <laughs> and it will not surprise you, all this misbehavior inevitably results in delay. These people for whom faith is so hard to obtain inevitably end up waiting. For Thomas, it was one week later, the next Sunday. Doubting people always lose time. You know, time? What, what, are, what are they losing? What, what do they have to wait for? They lose time when they could have had joy in the Lord. Joy with the other believers. And usually, if not always, the way back is in fellowship with God's people. Thomas renewed his fellowship with the other disciples and Jesus showed up. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. All of the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand. Put it in place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Finally, Thomas gets to take the same steps as the other apostles. He hears Jesus' offer of peace. He sees the evidence and he enthusiastically and joyfully he acclaims Jesus as his Lord and God. Did you know, by the way, that they were in the same place in the same way, that is, the doors were locked? So a couple of points. But first, a rabbit trail. <laughs> Jesus came into the room miraculously. The door was locked and he didn't come through the door. In other words, he could go through solid objects. So if that's the case, why was the stone rolled away? I'll let you think on that. Back to Thomas and his friends. God's people are imperfect. They were still hiding away. Even though they now believe but they were still Jesus' disciples. Just as we, <clears throat> imperfect as we are, are God's people, his church, his flock, his body, his building. Have you ever noticed that every metaphor the New Testament writers use to describe the church indicates the necessity of our being together with others of his people to function properly? I mean, you know, a body with parts over here and over there, and yeah, it isn't going to be working very well, okay? A flock isn't a flock if they're spread all over the mountain. A building isn't a building until all those parts are properly assembled. Even with all our faults, 
It is when we are together that we are fully his church. And when people who have doubted and separated themselves return to the family, then they will hear the words of Jesus. Now, we shouldn't be saying, what a bunch of dummies. They should have just stuck with us. <laughs> Not say that. Before we come down too hard on these doubters, we, we should consider something else about Thomas. What drove Thomas to such a difficult path? You remember when Jesus began his last trip toward Jerusalem? Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? After some discussion where Jesus makes it clear he will go, we hear this famous declaration. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Wow. I always took this to be courage. Let's do the right thing, even if we die with him. Let's do it. But I've been wondering, <laughs> what if it was something else? What if it was fatalism? It's over. It's done. We might as well die. Let's just lay down and die. Did Thomas give up? Is that why he said, let us die with him? Maybe he believed before then that Jesus was God. Maybe Thomas alone understood that Jesus really meant he would physically die in Jerusalem. And he thought that meant Jesus couldn't be God. How can God die? That would make Jesus merely a prophet. Sure, he could raise the dead, but that's not enough for Thomas. Maybe Thomas was the most affected because he had the highest hopes. Maybe Thomas fell furthest into depression because he had the highest expectations. Maybe that's why when he finally understood he, he could make such a great proclamation, he knew Jesus was his Lord and was also his God. Or maybe some people just have a really hard time coming to believe and that's just the way it is. I'm not sure. <laughs> In any event, after John finishes telling this third path to the one faith, he gives the reason he wrote his gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote his book to be read in any and every local expression of the church. That means these words were written for you. These signs were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These signs are written so that you might believe in his name, whether your belief comes easily or as a real struggle. These words are written so that you may have life in his name. But these signs are also the evidence that we use to proclaim the good news. How well do you know the signs? Don't let a day go by without taking in some of his word. That way, when someone who is destined to believe comes to you, you'll be ready to give them the evidence that will give them joy and lead them to faith and the peace that inevitably follows. Because those who believe are always then sent to lead others in their first steps to the one 
in whom they believe. John believed, but they all hid. (laughs) Peace and joy were waiting for them. When we finally believe, we can hear his words. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will live in us. Eventually, we will know those who believe and those who don't accept forgiveness. Whether we believe easily or need some hard evidence, the signs that are recorded are enough. We can believe and we can tell others. It sounds like that's the end of John's good news, his gospel. But he couldn't quite let it go. He just had to do a little bit more. Let me read the actual end to you. John pulls the curtain back just a bit so we can see him. They're all walking with Jesus. Peter and Jesus are up ahead. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. But Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. And who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Did you know that could be said of you? The world cannot contain the books that would be printed if every story of Jesus' love were written. What is the story of your first steps with Jesus? Or are they still to be written? Father, for some of us, it's been a long time since we took our first steps. Maybe even as long as John when he was looking back. It's good to look back. How did we finally understand it? When did we first experience that joy? How did that peace flood our hearts? Have we slipped away? Have we made some mistakes that make it harder for us to be near you and harder for us to tell people the message? joy, the peace. It's hard to show people. Lord, help us to get back together. First, we do that by getting together with each other. Well, we're all here, so we're trying, Lord. We ask your help in drawing together with each other so that we can then draw nearer to you. Those two things go hand in hand. We cannot do one without the other. Help us, Lord, to do that and help us to Help those like Thomas who've gone away a little. They aren't with us every day. They aren't with us when we could encourage them. And they aren't here to encourage us. Help us, Lord, to gently and carefully show them the joy that we have.
the peace that you give and remind them of how necessary it is for them to be here. And for those we know who don't know these things yet, they don't know about eternal life. They don't know about the peace that we have in spite of everything going crazy around us. They don't know that joy. Lord, help us to somehow demonstrate to them what you've given us. Help us to let them see that they can be a part of this family, this building, this flock. They can be a part, too, of this body. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank <clears throat> you.